My name's Keith, and I'm an addict. I'm addicted to the approval of other human beings. I, I care way too much about what other people think of me. I don't want to, but I do. It's silly to think that I care what other people think about me. It just doesn't make any sense. I should only care about what God thinks. But here's the thing about addictions, all addictions. They cost you dearly. Over time, they will rob you of your joy, your peace, your sanity, your relationships, until eventually they take your very life. And escaping them, incredibly difficult. If you're addicted to substances or pornography or shopping or food, you can go to rehab, right? You can go to rehab and try to get some help. I even saw that there is a rehab for phone addiction, which my guess is we should all go to at some point in our life. But what do you do? What do you do if you're addicted to the approval of other human beings? I mean, there's no rehab, at least as far as I know, for something like that. Now, maybe you hear this talk about addiction and the danger of it, and it'll rob you of all these things, and you go, well, yeah, but approval addiction won't do that. I mean, yeah, some of those other addictions are more serious, but, but not approval addiction. That's really going to cost you that much. Really? I mean, sure, meth, fentanyl, being addicted to something like that will cost you your life quickly, but is it possible that being addicted to human approval is just as bad or, or maybe even worse? Let's look how the Apostle Paul frames it in Galatians chapter 1. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So you see what Paul's doing here is he's saying there's a choice. I mean, I, I couldn't both live for Christ and his approval and other people. So just like Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money, you gotta choose. Well, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you, you gotta choose. You're either gonna live for the approval of other people or you're gonna live for the approval of God. So what's at stake is your relationship with God. Or look how it's put in John chapter 12. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. So they believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith, for they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. So here you have these people who are, who are starting to see who Jesus is and starting to click in their mind and, and maybe even more importantly, click in their heart and they're wanting to, to follow him, but they won't publicly and come out identify with him. They won't publicly say, I'm on team Jesus. They, they, they won't say, I agree with him. I think he's teaching the truth. Why? Well, because there's this circle of people that they care about. In this situation, it's, it's people of the synagogue. They didn't want to be put out of that ring of people whose opinion they valued because they loved these people's opinion more than the opinion of God. They loved the praise of these people more than God's praise. So they won't go public with their faith. So, so what's at stake in approval addiction is, according to Paul, is that, that, that it will rob us of our relationship with God. We can't live for human praise and God's praise. And in and, and John 12, what we see is it's even admitting and coming out and talking about our faith openly and publicly. And now, in Acts 12, we're gonna, what we're going to see is that it earns God's judgment. 
So we're in Acts 12 in our sermon series through the first half of the book of Acts, and we'll pick up reading in verse 19. We'll read through the story, and then we'll come back and unpack it. So then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant to the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is a historian. He's telling us the history of how the early church grew, how it went from a small handful of people and in three centuries encompassed at least half, if not more, of the Roman Empire. So Luke is writing a history of the earliest days of the Christian church. And because he's writing history, he mentions all kinds of particular details in this area of the world in the first century, particular kings, rulers, dates, locations, geographies landmarks. And, and so what scholars have done for quite a long time is they've come and said, well, let's see how good a historian Luke is. In other words, when we can test Luke because we know about what happened or who reigned or where something particular was, when we can test him from sources outside the Bible, does Luke prove reliable or does he prove faulty in the story that he tells? See, what they're asking is, can we really trust Luke as a reliable source? And through that, they're asking, can we really trust the Bible as a reliable source? Well, there was an Oxford-trained man, uh, Sir William Ramsey. He, he was a, a scholar, and he came from an atheist family, and he himself identified as an atheist. And he said, I'm going to go in, I'm going to dive into all the details, and his agenda was to prove that Luke was not reliable, that, that, that the New Testament, therefore, was flawed and, and not trustworthy. So after all of his study and after all of his digging and after all of his research, Sir William Ramsey, the atheist, became a Christian. He became a Christian because at the end of it, he goes, man, Luke is really good. He is reliable. He wrote this book. Uh, again, Oxford trained, wrote this book in which he says, yeah, it turns out Luke's history is really good. And I have become a follower of Jesus now. He wrote this in the book. There are reasons for placing the author of Acts, again, that's Luke, among the historians of the first rank. A more contemporary scholar, again, a Roman historian trained at Oxford. This guy's name's Colin Hamer. He wrote a book called The Book of Acts in the Setting of Hellenistic History, which has to be one of the worst and most boring titles you could ever give your name. <laughs> But he was a historian, not a marketer, right? And, and in this book, he just goes through the book of Acts and takes hundreds of details, hundreds of details that are found, like things you and I would just skim over, don't pay any attention to, but if you're a historian, things that catch your eye. And he tested them about, with other sources of the uh, first century. And he said, hey, Luke checks out. I mean, he knows what he is talking about. Now, here's the reason I'm bringing all this up is because in this story in Acts 12 that we read of Herod's death, 
Well, that can be tested. That's one of these events that we can look at other histories of the first century, other people who wrote at that time, and say, was Luke telling the truth? Did this actually happen, or is this some just story that somebody who wrote the Bible made up and, and it's not true? And the person we're going to turn to is, is a guy named Josephus. He was a Jewish man who was also a historian. He's got a super interesting story that we can't really go into this morning, but let me just give you a brief synopsis. He was a Jewish general who, in fighting against the Roman armies, was taken captive. They made him a slave, but because he was so sharp, he rose to become a Roman citizen and a respected historian. And what's so interesting about Josephus and why he's so helpful is because he's not a Christian source, and he's writing at the exact same time the New Testament was written in. So, he writes about Herod's death in a book and a history called The Antiquities of the Jews. That's what Josephus wrote. Let's, let's go to it and see how he describes what happened to Herod. Now, when Herod Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city of Caesarea. Well, this sounds exactly like what Luke wrote in Acts, 9, or Acts 12 so far. On the second day, he put on a garment wholly made of silver, and his flatterers cried out that he was a god. Upon this, the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. A severe pain also arose in his belly in a most violent manner. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly, for five days he departed this life. So that's what Luke wrote. I mean, here, here he, he's describing the same event. In other words, Luke is a reliable historian. He didn't just make something up. He told us what happened exactly the way it happened. So I think there's so many things we can say from this, and that is that Acts is trustworthy. It is an accurate history of how the early church grew, and, and that we can trust it, and we can trust the rest of the Bible. But I think there's even more to say than that. Because Luke didn't just put this story in his uh, account because it happened. He wanted to teach us something from it. He thought this was important for us to hear. And God didn't direct Luke to put it in there, except that he wanted us, he wanted to speak to our hearts through it. He thought this passage in Acts 12 had something to say to you and me in 2023 in our world today. He wanted to speak to our hearts. And here's what God wants to say to you and to me through this story. The very first thing he wants to say is this, loving the praise of people more than the praise of God will kill your soul. Herod loves people's praise. I mean, Herod loves to get the approval of the crowds. He wants to be the popular person. He wants to be the respected person. He wants to be the well-liked person. He really cares what other people think about him. Earlier in uh, uh, chapter 12, a sermon Dave preached on last week that I, if I were you, I would go back and listen to. He, he, he uh, writes this. So let's just go to it again. You can go back and listen to Dave's sermon for more context, but I think this is really interesting. He, Herod, had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now, if you had gone and asked Herod, why did you seize Peter? He would have had some policy decision. Well, this person gave me this advice and I thought it was strategic for these two or three different reasons. But God goes underneath that and says, here's the real reason he did it, because he wanted to please the Jews. He, he, he was a people pleaser. He saw the credit. He saw the applause he got. And that drove his decisions. That drove his policy. 
That drove how he lived his life. Now, let's stop for a second and ask yourself a question. Do you ever do that? Do you ever make decisions? And you've got reasons, but if we could get inside your heart, and probably you even are aware of this, you're doing something. Because it, it, it kind of gains the approval of somebody else. You know you'll get the credit. You know you'll, you'll get accolades. You'll know you'll be affirmed. You'll know you'll be accepted by somebody you care about. You ever do that? Do you ever make decisions about where to live or what kind of job to take or what vacation to go on or what school to put your kids in or, or you know, lots of things. Who to date, who not to date, who to room with, where to live. Do you ever make those decisions the same way that Herod made his? Because, because he loved the, the approval of other people? I bet you do. Because I think we all do. I think we're all in the grips of approval addiction. Well, after this story plays out and he has James killed and Peter arrested, we come to the story that we read this morning in Acts 12. And Herod, he goes off to Caesarea. Caesarea is a really important city. It was named after the Caesar. And when he's in Caesarea, there's people from Tyre and Sidon. These are coastal towns. And they come to meet with Herod in Caesarea because he controls their food supply. They're on the coast and they need him to help them get food. And so they had to be on good terms with Herod in order to feed the people that lived in their city. You see, he had economic power over them. They depended on him. And Herod loved that. He, he loved the, 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 the feeling. He, he enjoyed the thrill of knowing that other people needed him, that he was important. It really fed Herod's ego. It says a lot about the kind of person that he was. At verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. So here the people of Tyre and Sidon, the leaders have come to, to, to talk with Herod to get uh, his approval for them to get their food. And he sits on his throne and he puts on a, a, a royal robe. I mean, this is his chance to show off. He's in the big city. He's the important guy. And after he gets all dressed up and all the accoutrements that come with his office and, and plops down there on his throne, he gives a speech. He gives a talk. Do you think Herod was a good speaker? We don't really know what, what the quality of that talk was, but what we do know is that the people of Tyre and Sidon knew what kind of man Herod was. They knew how to get on his good side. They, they knew how to feed his ego. They knew how to manipulate him to get what they wanted. So here's how they responded to his talk. Verse 22, they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. This is the voice of a God, not of a man. And you can just see Herod's face, can't you? I mean, he was smug and self-satisfied. He loved it for a fleeting moment. For a fleeting moment, he loved their approval. For a fleeting moment, he enjoyed hearing how important he was. For a fleeting moment, he enjoyed the, 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 the thrill of having people praise him. Now, I, I said it was just for a fleeting moment because here's what follows in verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Immediately, he struck down and died. 
God made it clear that he was not as impressed with Herod as Herod was impressed with himself. In that moment, God made it clear what he thought of Herod's self-promotion and his self-exaltation. In that moment, God says to you and to me that living for the praise of other people is a dangerous way to live your life. And if you live for the praise of other people, you will end up just like Herod. And of course, that's sobering news to you and to me. Because we're really not that different than Herod, are we? We too are addicted to the praise of others. We too are addicted to human approval. I mean, Herod, he sat on his throne. He, he, he put on royal robes. He, he, he heard the people say, oh, the voice of a God, not of a man. Now, our world is different than that. No thrones, no robes. We're not kings or queens. No, but, but it still plays out even if more subtly. And it all starts when our identity gets wrapped up in how other people perceive us. Like I am who you think I am. And if I want to be uh, uh, successful, you know, then I start to play to that because I care that you think I'm successful. Or, or maybe it's not successful, maybe it's attractive. I want you to know that you think I'm attractive, so I will do what I can to get on your good side, to please you, to fit according to the life that you think I should. Or maybe it's likable. I want to be the guy that has all the friends. Or maybe it's the way I parent. And I want other parents to respect me and to think, oh, that person, a good mom, a good father. But, 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 when, but when I start thinking of myself in terms of how other people perceive me, when my identity gets wrapped up in, in their perception of me, I am in the grips of approval addiction. Because I become what other people think I am. So if, if you think it's the important people are busy, then I'm going to tell you how busy I am. If you think the, people, uh, the important people have money and that's what impresses you, then I'm going to dedicate myself to have more money so that I can take the right vacations and drive the right car and live in the right place and have the right set of friends. Oh, and if you think that, that, that if you're impressed by, by, by who I know, well, then I'm going to become a name dropper. Because I'm going to let you know that I'm important because of the kind of people who are my friends and the kind of people that I hang out with. Because my identity is wrapped up in how you perceive me. When you're in the grips of uh, approval addiction, you're so vulnerable to other people's opinion that your life becomes like this emotional roller coaster depending on what they think about you. And millions of us, millions of us, maybe all of us, uh, have this particular addi addiction. So, so let me give you some symptoms. Do you see yourself in any of these? Like, are, 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 would anybody say you're overly sensitive, that you get your feelings easily hurt? Would, would people say that, that you don't take constructive criticisms? They don't offer you constructive criticism about how you talk to your spouse or about how you're raising your kids or about anything in your life, about your health, about your choices, about the way you treat people. Nobody offers you constructive criticism because they've learned don't tell her, don't tell him. They don't want to hear it. They're overly sensitive. Or, or what about this? Do you ever find yourself comparing yourself to others and kind of being competitive so that you want to beat other people? You want to come out on top. You want to be the best. You've got to prove yourself. If so, you're probably in the grips of approval addiction. Do you ever, ever have the sense that you're not enough? Not smart enough, not attractive enough, not, not good enough? 
It might be because you're in the grips of approval addiction. Ever find yourself when you reflect on it? Now, you don't rarely, at least if you're me, you don't really see it in the moment, but, but looking back on it, you know that you were in this conversation with somebody and you were trying to kind of subtly manipulate the conversation to make yourself look better. Like people used to call that humble bragging. It's not, it's not beating my chest. It's just subtly uh, trying to make you impress with me without you knowing that I'm trying to make you impress with me. It's because you're addicted to other people's approval. I mean, it goes by different names depending on what stage of life you're in. If you're younger, it's called peer pressure. When you get older, it sounds a little bit better to say, I'm just a people pleaser. I just want to make everybody happy. Some people call it codependency. Here's what God calls it. Sin. And at the heart of this sin is that we have replaced God's approval with human approval. We have valued other people's opinion more than we value God's. How about some more symptoms? Are you overcommitted? Like everybody that in your life is going, yeah, you shouldn't do that. No, you, this doesn't make sense for you to join this or be in charge of that. And you go, no, I got to do it because I can't say no to them because what will they think of me if I don't do it? Or how about this? Do you ever second guess yourself because of what other people are going to think about your decision? Not because you rethought it and think, no, this isn't a wise thing to do, but you know what she's going to think or he's going to say or they're going to say. And so you second guess your decisions in life based on what other people think. Are you easily embarrassed so that you're, you know, singing in the car, whatever it is, singing in the car while you drive down the road and somebody sees you now, now you're embarrassed. You're not embarrassed because you were singing in the car. You're embarrassed because somebody saw you because I, I want their approval. I care what other people think about me. And it's so alluring, it's so controlling because it promises us something that we think we desperately want. See, it's not, it's not, it's not that every, we're in the, uh, addicted to everyone's approval. I mean, we don't care so much what random strangers think of us, but there's people in our life. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's people at work. Maybe it's in yourself, in your own voice, in your own, in your own head, but you crave their approval and you feel like you need it. You need their affirmation. You need their acceptance. You need their accolades. And here's why. Because you think if they accept you, you're acceptable. If they affirm you, you can feel good about yourself. See, we're fairly sure that God accepts us. But what we really want is the acceptance of the people who we deem important. And anything you think you need will control you, right? This is true of, of, of anything in our life, any part of our life, right? Uh, even more than just approval addiction. If I feel like I need something to make it, need something to prove myself, need something to be a somebody, then, then, then that is going to control me. I'm going to have to have it. And it's going to put me in bondage to it. I become addicted to it. And it can, it's going to control me. And here's where it always ends up. Leaves me empty. It leaves me feeling empty. But everyone is controlled by what they think they need. So a guy named Ed Welch wrote a book that I recommend. If you want to keep going on this, this is a good book. I'm sure there's many others. This is a good one to, 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 to read. But I just love the title. Because I think it just kind of cuts to the point when people are big and God is small. Because that's what we're doing. When we live in the grip of approval addiction, we're making people big and God small. We're shrinking God's approval in our life. We're exalting other people's opinion over God's. I just want you to think here for a second about King Herod 
And I want you to compare him there in his royal robes on his royal throne. And I want you to compare him to King Jesus. King Herod was all about self-exaltation. King Jesus, well, he didn't exalt himself. No, the Bible says that he humbled himself. Herod, he put on royal robes and sat on his throne. Jesus got up off his throne, took off his robes, became one of us, a servant. He humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And when Jesus died on that cross for you, he died so that you would be accepted by God. And through Christ, you can know that God the Father who created you, God the Father who loves you, he accepts you. And when you know, I'm like, really? No. Deep down in your soul, know that God accepts you, then it doesn't matter what other people think. Their approval loses their power when you dwell on the fact that you are accepted in Christ. And so that's what takes us all the way back to Galatians 1, where we started with Paul saying, am I trying to win the approval of human beings? Because I can't please people and serve Christ. I gotta choose one or the other. I've gotta decide. So Jesus comes to, 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 to forgive us of our sins, to make it so that we can be accepted by God and the power of other people's approval is broken. But Luke has another thing he wants to teach us. If the first point is that the living for other people's approval will kill us. We don't have as much time, but just a second. On the second point that, Jesus, or that Luke wants to make, and that is this, God always wins. When he tells us a story, that's what he wants us to know. God always wins. Because after he's told us about how Herod died, here's the summary. Here's the summary sentence on that story for Luke. Verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Herod, he tried to stop the gospel, but he couldn't. Because the word of God continued to spread. (laughs) Maybe the only thing Herod cared about more than the praise of people was stopping this message of this guy, Jesus, the crucified king. He wanted to stop it, but he couldn't. His dad, Herod the Great, after the wise men came and visited him, had all the babies in Bethlehem killed, trying to stop Jesus, but he could not stop him. They had John the Baptist beheaded, but that didn't stop the gospel. So they they arrested uh, uh, Peter. They killed James, but none of it could stop the movement that Jesus launched, because Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will stop it. Churches in every generation, yours, mine, every generation in every culture and every century, they've had challenges. They've faced opposition. And yet, nothing could stop what Jesus is doing. Armies can't stop it. The lack of money can't stop it. Hard hearts can't stop it. Because Jesus is building his unstoppable kingdom. If you want to be on the right side of history, if you want to be on the winning side, get on the side of Team Jesus because nothing can stop what he's doing in your life or in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, we open our heart and we pray that you would shine your light of truth into our heart and expose any area of our life that we are living for the praise of people instead of the praise of God. I pray, Father, that you would speak truth to our heart, that Jesus 
died to make us acceptable. And that we don't need the approval of people because we have the approval of God. Father, it's probably something we know in our head, but I'm asking you to take it deeper. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to push it down further in our soul, in my soul. Father, we pray that our heart would be motivated to please you, that we want to live our life, every part of our life, our time, our talent, our treasure, all of it, that we want to spend it in a way that will bring a smile to your face. We want to live in such a way that when we die and stand before you, you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because in that moment, that's all that's going to matter. And for the next 10 million years, that's all that's going to matter. So I pray that now, today, we would live to please you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great Sunday.